Hello, 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 unmother and unbothered listeners. This is Precious Detina, the host. And I want to welcome you to the Unmother and Unbothered podcast, a place where we uh, forgive, heal, and thrive. This evening, I have a special guest for you guys. I'm really excited about this interview because I kind of came about having her on the show in a very unique way. We'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to welcome Brenna Wilder to the show. Welcome, Brenna. Hi. So I appreciate you being here. Um, And we have a lot to talk about. So let me just give you a little bit of Brenna's receipts, as we call them. So Brenna is a health and wellness entrepreneur and author of Holy Healing. All of these details will be in the show notes. Brenna is very passionate about mental health, especially family and childhood trauma. And so that is what kind of connected both of us, both both of us together, because we were kind of in the directory for uh, podcastguest.com. And I'm plugging them. You should check it out. I didn't think it was like a thing at first, but it is. And it connected Brenna and I to um, be able to be here to talk to you guys a little bit about childhood trauma and how it affects us later on in life. So Brenna, I'm going to ask you, um, like I always ask, tell me what is either your favorite episode, you don't have to remember the number or anything, no pressure, but um, favorite episode or moment from the podcast that you've listened to? Um, so my favorite was your story about, um, you know, feeling bad that your, your mother said she needed a microwave and she had to save up for one. And so you felt bad about it and took her to Walmart and bought her a microwave that she got to pick out. And, um, that, that really stood out to me a lot because, um, you know, I've had kind of a tumultuous relationship with my mother as well. And about a year and a half ago, um, I realized that I had a lot of like repressed rage towards my mother. And I wrote her like this long letter about, you know, my childhood and how it affected me as an adult. And um, it started kind of like bringing a lot up for me and the healing process. And about six months after that letter, um, a bunch of my family members, aunt, uncle, other aunt, my sister and I were going to a Fleetwood Mac concert that was going to be in town. And I knew that my mom loved Fleetwood Mac and it's like one of her favorite bands ever. And she's like never been to a concert. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm rectifying this relationship with my mom. I'm going to buy her this concert ticket. We're going to go to the concert and I'm such a great person and I'm a hero and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I sat there the whole time and I was, you know, still very resentful towards her. So I hadn't actually healed at all and hearing your story and having hearing you go through the same thing was I don't know it brought me a a lot of um feeling of community (laughs) I guess in a way and um and it's and it's true I you know it it really stood out to me when you said that you know forgiveness is not linear it's something that you know it goes up and it goes down you have good days you have bad days and you just have to 
you know, listen to you and just do the best you can within each day and know that mm -hmm. you're going to, you'll get there eventually. You just have to be, listen to yourself and do what feels right by you. That's what stood out a lot to me. Absolutely. That episode is, um, I don't know if it's the title. I don't know what it is. I normally lead people to the trailer so that they can hear exactly. So when they see unmothered, unbothered, I know people are like, what is she talking about? So, I'm, <laughs> you know, listen to the trailer. It will really help you. But that episode, Faux Forgiveness, is what it's called. Um, it has almost 2,000 downloads. It is the most popular. So I'm glad that you can relate as, you know, almost 2,000 other people can relate to it. Um, it, was, it was a tough one for me, uh, but being transparent paid off. So now, <clears throat> since we know, we heard your story uh, just now about um, the tickets and how you related to my story, just take us back to your childhood growing up and kind of give us um, the dynamics of your home and who was there and um, talk about why your relationship with your mom is like non-traditional and why, you know, you experienced those traumatic times. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I had a very interesting upbringing. So my mom is actually first generation Lebanese. Um, her dad, my grandfather, emigrated over from Lebanon um, sometime in the 50s, and he met my grandmother at junior college, and they literally got married within, I think, like six weeks of uh, meeting each other, and um, my, my grandmother actually realized that she, you know, made a mistake, and she was going to divorce my grandfather and uh but she then she realized she was pregnant with my my mom so she she stuck with it um <clears throat> and then my mom you know she and then she uh lived with you know her dad my grandfather um until she was and uh, until she met and was living got married to my dad and um the lebanese way of think is like a very like man dominated society um so like the women in my family never worked they were housemakers they were stay at home wives they raised kids that was kind of like their shtick mm -hmm. they didn't they were never really um i guess they you know they're kind of more along the line seen as like chattel versus like you know, actual human beings and mm -hmm. can, can contribute to society and things like that. So I think my mom was trying to leave, you know, the abuse she was, you know, getting at home with my grandfather. And then she got into a relationship with my dad, who, um, you know, turned out to be an abusive alcoholic. She, um, she, she stopped working. So I'm the oldest of five kids. She stopped working after my sister was born. So the second kid was born. And then, you know, by the time she had five babies under 10 years old, you know, working was nearly impossible for her. And, um, you know, my dad's alcoholism got worse and worse. And until the point that one night he actually almost killed her. And I was like in the next room with it when it happened. And, um, 
then she finally got the courage to change the locks. After the locks were changed, uh, we actually lost the house because, you know, my dad was the financial financial provider for our family. And uh, we were um, living, so we were homeless there for a little while. We were like living out of a station wagon until we found, until our <laughs> station wagon broke down in a little town outside of Austin, Texas. And, you know, the cops came and they got us into a homeless shelter for a few days until the women's shelter had enough room for all six of us. And we, we stayed there for about six weeks until they moved us into government housing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> at, that, at this point, I was about 12 years old. And uh, I remained in government housing until I like living with my family there until I was about 17. When I was old enough to work, my mom started like Uh, garnishing my paychecks because, you know, I needed to help take care of the family. I was, quote, you know, the oldest child, so it was my responsibility to take care of my younger siblings, and it always made me so angry because I was like, they aren't my kids, they're your kids. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a 16-year-old, like, what, what am I doing, like, trying to take care of all of these children? But she felt you know, like, you know, she had to take care of her younger siblings and it's just what you do. And, you know, she had to stay at home and take care of the kids. But at this point, you know, my, we were all old enough to take care of each other. Like if she had gone back to work mm-hmm. and then, so I was kind of, um, done with the BS. And so I peaced out when I was like 17, I was like, if I'm going to be paying the bills, might as well be paying the bills for my own place, like under my own roof with my own rules. Mm-hmm. So I left when I was about 17. It caused a lot of um a lot of heartache for my mom. Like I think she last year after you know I wrote her this 16 page letter um which is interesting how I came up with that concept. I'll get into that in a little bit but um she said that I was the only person that had ever broken her heart in her entire life. And, you know, it, it, it really shocked me to hear that, that, you know, my leaving had such an impact on her, but, you know, at, from all of the trauma that I faced as, as a young person, you know, I was severely depressed by the time I was 13 and I made an attempt on my life at 14 and I never even went to my mom for help because I knew that she was so emotionally distant, distant and um, suffering from her own mental illness that she wouldn't be able to hold space for me. So I didn't, like, even as a 14-year-old, I was cognizant enough to know that. So I didn't, um, I didn't go to her for help. And, um, you know, fast forward to my adult years, and, you know, she says that I'm the only only person that broke her heart, but, you know, I, I just couldn't believe her saying that when, you know, I had tried to kill myself and she didn't even, she didn't even know. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, um, going back to the, the Lebanese thing, it's like women kind of just get married for, I don't know, like, oh, none of the women in my family had advantageous careers. Like, I remember uh, when all my friends were applying for colleges, like the ones that were applying for, you know, out of 
out of like colleges that were far away or out of state. I was just, I didn't understand how those women had enough um, sense of independence and confidence to go and do something like that because it was something that was never instilled in me by my mother or any of the women in my family. And um, it was something I never understood. And maybe it was something that I like wanted for myself as well. And so I kind of, you know, fell into a similar pattern that my mom had when I was about 18. I met my college boyfriend and, um, you know, he was a lot like my dad, um, you know, alcoholic, violent, like um, emotionally, mentally, verbally, you know, and eventually it got physical. And that's whenever I said, you know, okay, I've got, I've got to leave or I'm going to, you know, wind up a battered child in, or a battered woman in, um, in a women's shelter with all my babies, just like my mom did. So, you know, I had to, I had to leave that relationship, which was kind of hard because I didn't really have anywhere to go. I haven't really had a relationship with my father since they divorced when I was 12. And then, you know, I never felt comfortable enough really reaching out to any extended family members. And I, you know, learned at a very young age, my mom didn't have the emotional space for me. So I kind of, kind of have always had to figure it out on my own as an adult, even as, as a child, it made me very anti-dependent. Mm-hmm. And, um, in a lot of ways I'm trying to, I'm trying to unlearn that because, you know, as human beings, we need each other. Like we, we need to have connection more than anything. And we we're we're pack animals. We're not, we're not meant to live these solitary lives and humans can suffer depression and all kinds of things when they don't feel like they belong or they're connected or in a community or supported. So it's something that I'm having to reteach myself now as an adult. Um, but, you know, relationships have been, I was with that college boyfriend for seven years and the whole time I, I was so um, miserable, but I felt I was financially dependent on him, just like my mom was with mm. my dad and just like my grandma was with my grandfather. And, um, you know, I didn't really see a way out. And, you know, I thought the only way that I'd ever get out is if like he got into a fiery car accident and died. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I just felt extremely trapped and, um, that I developed, um, well, I, I had outstanding PTSD from my childhood, but that relationship added on to, um, my PTSD. And, uh, for, you know, that first year that I was separated from that boyfriend, um, I had massive night terrors and I was extremely depressed. I was like getting drunk every night just to like not remember who I was or know my name. And it was a, it was a very dark year for me. And, and, um, you know, I didn't, uh, the next year I like completely stopped drinking and I focused like heavily on my goals and, and, but I was still like, obviously very wounded because I had all of this baggage from childhood and from this tumultuous relationship. And I, um, I, I was just kind of a very miserable person to be around. And then I happened to meet the man that would become my fiance 
two years later and that relationship lasted not very long. It maybe about 15 months. It started falling apart at the seams after we got engaged and um, I slipped back into really low depression, the probably as depressed, probably the lowest depression I had in my adult life. And um, I hadn't been that depressed since I was a teen because I could feel our relationship falling apart. And then one day he came home and was like, Oh, and then I, so I started therapy because I was like, you know, I'm the problem. There's something wrong with me. I had like, I'm fucked up. I've got daddy issues. Like all of this shit happened to me. Like I've got to go see a therapist. So I started therapy and about a month after starting therapy, he came home and was like, I don't think we should get married. I took a job in North Carolina. I'm leaving in five days. Wow. And, you know, it was definitely, I was in shock for probably like the first 24 hours. And, um, then, and it's weird to say, but like the next day, I feel like I almost had a, a moment of clarity or a come to Jesus or, you know, enlightenment in a way where I kind of really woke up to like who I was and why I'm the way I am. And it started this like now four and a half year journey of, you know, finding out why am I the way that I am and, um, you know, going to therapy, you know, figuring out what, why the things, the, how the things that happened to me in my childhood and not just in my childhood, but to my mom and to my grandma and how that has affected me mm-hmm. in, in my life going forward. Um, how old after, were you at this time, Brenna? Um, when my fiance left me, I was 28 years old. 28, okay. And, um, uh, not long after my fiance left, um, you know, a few months later, I met this other guy that I fell head over heels for and we, and he's actually a lot like my grandfather who kind of took over the, the father figure role for me after my dad was out of the picture. That's my mom's dad, the one from Lebanon. And he's, he's hypercritical. I also, I also think that he has a narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, nothing's ever good enough for him. So, you know, I kind of spent a good part of this next relationship being like that young little girl, just trying to be seen, trying to be appreciated, trying to be acknowledged. And, um, we actually ended up, uh, getting pregnant and I had a miscarriage and I know it was due to stress because I wanted to keep the baby and he didn't. And, um, when that happened, I, you know, I was reading up on how to deal with miscarriage and how to process it. And one of the things I read online was, um, you know, it can be very healing and bring closure to the parents to like have a ceremony and like very like you know have like a little funeral for the baby so um i took the fetus and i put it in a little um an old bracelet jewelry box and i wrote i had been calling it tadpole and so i wrote tadpole and the date and i put like a a little rose quartz in it and i put a a flower in it and i wrote like a letter to the baby and i i put it in there and you know i told I told my partner I was going to go bury it in the woods. 
he asked to come and I was like, no, I hate you. <laughs> and he was like, please come, like, let me come. And I was like, fine. I'd only because I don't have a shovel. So bring us a shovel. So <laughs> the three, me, him and my dog trekked out into the woods to go, you know, bury tadpole. And I had this ceremony for it. We dug the hole, we covered it up. We made, made a little cure and I sprinkled rose pe um, flower petals and read a poem, played a song. And it was, you know, it, it brought me, it, I felt like it did, it really did bring me some closure. And my partner told me the next day that, um, you know, he realized that, you know, watching how much pain I was in, that my suffering really was real. That's what he said. He was like, I realized that your, su your suffering really was real. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me mad too. Yeah. It, but it pissed me off, like, not to a point where you, you can't believe someone said, like, it, it was something deeper than that. It was, like, this really, really deep rage. Like, I mean, you can understand being upset in a situation like that, but that wasn't what was stemming. That's not what was coming up. And, um, and I told him to, like, burn all of my stuff and to never talk to me again. And... Um, and I thought about it and I was like, why am I so mad about this? Like, like, I was like, why do I continuously get in these relationships over and over and over again, where I have men that mistreat me and don't respect me? And the biggest question I have for myself is why do I allow it? And, um, and it dawned on me that, you know, when we are young, when we're children, like up until you're about eight years old, your brain waves actually move lower than what is consciousness because nobody ever sits you down and teaches you the thousands of rules you need to know to be an adult mm -hmm. and how to function in society and how to work in different groups. And, you know, how do you behave at school or at home or with mom or with dad or whatever, like these aren't ever taught, they're absorbed. Mm -hmm. And so through my childhood, the only people, like my example of like what a woman does is through my mother. And so my mother was continuously mis mistreated by her father and by my father. And what she taught me with my father is you don't leave, like you will, you put up with anything until he tries to kill you and then you can leave. Like that, that was the subconscious mes message that I got from my mother growing up. So naturally that bled over into my adult relationships with all of my partners that I've had with men that continuously treat me horribly. And I was like, you know, I am so mad at my mother for teaching mm -hmm. me this, mm -hmm. whether she realized it or not, she was, you know, through the clarity of her example, teaching me how I should expect to be treated by men. And yeah, go ahead. I want to pause. So let's pause. Okay, so now we're at the point where you realize, okay, this is where this stems from. So this was, you, you had started therapy when, um, bef like before this epiphany, you know, you had started therapy um, around when you broke up with the, the yeah, guy. The, the fiance. Okay, so you had started and now the situation with the miscarriage and um the, the trauma that came with that and the comment from him you realized okay this is where this stems from so now you're at the point where you know the root you know 
um, where it comes from. So before we go into what you're working, you know, I'm sure still working on now and what you begin mm -hmm. to do. I wanted to touch on just some things that you um, said. <clears throat> so I told you earlier that in reading the paragraph and the kind of when you for the podcast guests, you kind of say what you could talk about and, um, you know, what you, you may be an expert in or just have experienced. And so I was so attracted to your story and specifically um, when you said your mom was the first generation um, Lebanese that moved here. And the reason I was, you know, and you describing how she um, didn't, she didn't work, she didn't feel the need to be the breadwinner, she wasn't um, making these moves, she was, um, because of your culture, used to being taken care of, and um, moved from one home to the next, pretty much, from living with her dad, you said, and then to mm -hmm. her husband. So, um, you mentioned that you would see your peers preparing for, for college and they were, you know, going in these different places and you were just like, wow, like how do they, how do they have the nerve to do that? And that's so intriguing to me because I always talk about how in the African-American culture, talking about your mom in a negative way, whether you're just telling the truth, you know, um, it, it could be as uh, respectful as you can think of. It's just like, you don't do it. You, you just don't do it. And so that's something that I was like, wow, I want to hear from her side and let my audience hear that coming from a completely different culture. But it also mm -hmm. struck me because, you know, making big plans to move out of state and go to college in different places was so, that's so normal to me too. Like I, I think that, that we know that's cultural too, because that's how you were raised. That's how you were taught. And you never think about how we have the same issues, you know, a traumatic childhood, just all of these um, wounds that we're still trying to heal and um, things that have just kind of rolled over and snowballed into our adulthood come from two completely different cultures, raised completely, um, in just completely different ways. And I was in New York, you were in Texas, but we still have these, these issues. And, you know, I say that to say that I wish that culturally we can get past the, we can't talk about our moms. You know, we, we, we have to put them on these imaginary pedestals, right. You know, because they're, because they're your mother, period. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter. Like we have to just get out of that because in this one conversation, you can just see that it is, it crosses culture lines and there it's leaving these mothers are, they're leaving, you know, women like us, just a wake of us in, in this traumatic path of, um, trying to heal and find out why we are the way we are, why we tick the way we tick and how to just live our best life. So I, you know, I love, I've been jotting down so many things about your, your story is so interesting to me. That's, that's why I like a storytelling component when I, when I interview. Um, you also mentioned that you suffered from like night terrors, PTSD, alcohol abuse after that uh, breakup with the first kind of guy you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, did you recognize that you said you stopped the next year, so I probably know the answer to this. You recognized that that was destructive behavior. Yeah, um, I I definitely did. I um, the re so the day 
I stopped drinking was I was like, um, it was a Monday morning and my dad had called me and it was like 10 AM and he was drunk as a skunk, Mm -hmm. which that in and of itself was nothing new. And, you know, he was talking about how he didn't understand why my mom left him and, you know, she was the love of his life and things were going so great. They finally had the baby boy that they were looking for. By the way, the first four of us were girls Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they both wanted a boy. And I literally was flabbergasted that he said that. I was like, how do you not remember that you were drunk every single day and you made her life and my life and all of my siblings' lives like a living hell? Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that he had no recollection of that. And I sat there with the realization that if I kept on the path that I was going, like this was my phone call from past with from ghosts, past, present, and future. Like mm-hmm. this is my dad coming from my past. This is my present. This is where I'm at at. And if I don't do something to rectify this, like my future is going to be this this drunk man I'm on the phone with. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just <laughs> completely quit drinking for like a year now I I drink socially but Mm um yeah it was and it was more of a control thing that first year where I was like oh well you know I have to like control 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 my life but I I actually did nothing in terms of healing Mm -hmm. any of those past wounds but you know I might have been too in order for healing to really occur you have to um you have to be removed enough from the trauma Hmm. and, and in a safe enough space to actually be able to do that. And, you know, I spent the first 25 years of my life in unsafe living environments, which, you know, based off my upbringing and as a child, I, it felt very normal to me. But just because it was what I was used to doesn't mean it was right and doesn't mean it was okay. And it, w- and it took a couple of years of me living on my own to really feel safe in a home. Mm. Ooh, I'm just writing in a little frenzy over here because <laughs> I do mention this and, and I'll hit on this in a second, but you do, when you, when you heal, like that's you have to be removed and that's why I when when I get phone calls and when I get emails and the number one question I get is like I I need to go no contact how do I do that because I I say all the time that for about 10 years I was just no contact with my mom just like I'm just not doing it I can't I can't do you I can't deal with it um, it was easier for me though because she didn't raise me so it wasn't as hard to let go of something I didn't have Mm-hmm. but I knew that she brought just toxicity to my life and I didn't like how she made me feel and I didn't like my um, reaction to her. I never responded to her. I always reacted to her and I didn't like myself and uh, me removing myself was going no contact and, and I was able to be in a safe space and it wasn't, it was physically, you know, a physical space, but it was more of a mental space and, and like an emotional space. So I agree with that. Um, you said something else um, about being anti-dependent and mm-hmm. that we still need connection though. Um, that is, that mirrors me. Like you, you get me because people do not, so I'm 38 and um, I don't have any kids. I'm not married. 
And I know that a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am still learning how to um, just kind of be vulnerable and, and know that it's okay to, to need people and want yeah. teaching yourself is you know, that is really hard <laughs> it is it's very hard now i i have very good friends because on both sides of my family i don't have the, uh close-knit families it's not um that cohesive and i was just blessed with amazing friends i have the dopest friends ever um and i have said this before i just did an episode um called what what kind of friend are you and i was saying how when people say i don't need friends and i don't have friends i don't care i don't need anybody i always kind of side eye you like mm, i don't know you know you 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 know yeah you need that and so you you know yeah. you need that as well but it's very hard because i think that a lot of reason that i'm not married is because i just I don't know. I'm just, as soon as I see something, it's hard, it's hard to want to trust someone that yes, way. Yes. It scares the hell out of me. It, it, it does. And to be honest, I don't trust anybody. Like I assume everybody is, and I've said this before, like I, everybody's a liar. Like everybody is like something's wrong. And I fight that feeling every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I fight, like, I can't trust you and I'm not gonna, um, make myself put myself in a position where I have to depend on you for something because you're going to do something you're going to let me down it is right so when you had parents that you couldn't trust it and that's exactly. like the first relationship that you've ever developed it's at heart it makes it really hard to trust other people going forward in your life exactly I was 30 years old or so before I realized that people did love me so like that let me explain because that sounds like oh my gosh she's just a, I never had like it wasn't like a low self-esteem or you know what was me and nobody loves me it wasn't that okay. I really just felt like at that time I felt like my mother didn't love me like how could she anyway she treat me like this she didn't take care of me she chose mm -hmm. alcohol and drugs so if my mother can't love me and doesn't nobody else does so when people would say that they love me, I never really thought about it, but I just thought they were being like nice. I just thought it was like a formula. <laughs> like, talk to you later, love you. Oh, love you too. Like, I never thought about it. Um, right. And I don't know that I, I don't think I felt as if I wasn't lovable. I, I just was like, well, they can't. Like, they can't. She doesn't. They can't. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about it one day. And I'm like, you know, I'm just so screwed up from, <laughs> from, yeah you know, this, this, my childhood. So when you said that about just really needing connection with others, you were just talking to yourself and I'm talking to myself. We just reminding ourselves because it's an everyday <laughs> battle. You know, it's a, it's an everyday battle. So now you are here and you have realized that you have this rage towards your mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned the letter and you, and you wrote that it was 16 pages. Yeah. Okay. So after you sent that letter, tell us what was kind of, you, you saw, okay, I don't want to be my dad. You stopped. You realized your rage. You wrote, did you write the letter after you? So the letter was right after the miscarriage. Um, I had, you know, I, I believe in synchronicities from the universe and I believe that there is benevolent forces out there. Like just waiting to help you. You just got to pay attention. And I'd been in a, a half price books about six months prior. And I saw, and I had felt at that time that I had like already dealt with all of my childhood issues because I'd 
I dealt with the, you know, the alcoholic dad stuff in therapy because that was like the big and loud um, player in my childhood. But, um, you know, I, and my mom had always played uh, like the co-victim and uh, her, her abuse was very covert. It wasn't, you know, she wasn't screaming and hitting or whatever, but, you know, she was definitely neglectful as a parent, but, you know, you don't realize that when you have no, no other basis for what like a normal, you know, mother child bond is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. So I stumbled upon this book called toxic parents. And I was like, well, do I really need to read this? You know, I've already been in therapy for several years. Like I'm probably okay. And so, but you know, I just, I felt the, the need to buy it. So I bought it and um, it'd been sitting on my shelf for about six months. And, you know, after the miscarriage and all that rage that came up for, you know, let, for me feeling like, you know, I let all these guys treat me like that, like this. And, um, you know, this was a learned behavior that I had from my mother. And so I read the, the book on toxic parents and it's, it's by Susan Forward and I highly recommend it. Um, but probably not unless you've already started some kind of therapy because it goes into some pretty deep stuff depending on what the extent of the abuse you experience from your parents are. Um, but reading over like the covert ab abuse part about how uh, one of the things that really stood out to me in the book was something called the parent role reversal, where the parent kind of well, like, like I had said before, my mom went, you know, from living with her dad, living with my dad, living off the government, living off her kids, and she's never taken care of herself. So she kind of did, she did that with us, you know, she, she made it seem like she was the victim and that we were responsible for taking care of her when in fact, you know, she was the adult, she was the parent, she should have been taking care of us. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the things, so the, you know, first half of the book goes over like six different types of abuse, because a lot of people don't know, like, if you don't have a, a father like mine or yours, that's like absent or like big and loud and abusive, then like physically abusive, then it's kind of hard to know what abuse is if it's not, you know, screaming in your face, you know, there's verbal abuse, which can come off in a lot of ways, um, you know, even if your parents say like mean things to you, but then they say, oh, I'm just kidding. Like that's still verbal abuse mm -hmm. and, you know, being hypercritical and judgmental and, you know, not praising you for being like an, an inherent wonderful being. Cause we all are like loving you unconditionally. And um, so it goes over like the six, six different types of abuse. And then in the end, it talks about how you can rectify the relationship or how, how you can find peace with a relationship. And, one of the quotes from the book that sticks with me from now, and I will probably be thinking about this on my deathbed, is what you don't pass back, you pass on. So what, what happened to me, if I didn't pass it back to who gave it to me, I would pass it on to my partners, to my children, to my pets, you know, oh, to other people in my life. That's so good. And yeah, I know. It's, it's big. It's kind of like, you know, mind blown. <laughs> it is. Good. And yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely a huge aha moment for me. So, um, the book talks about like confronting your, your parents about what happened. Um, I, I kind of already did this work with my dad in therapy. I did something called chair work, but no, it was very new to me to realize that I had, you know, mommy issues too. And, um, I, 
what what it says when you confront your parent is that you can that it recommends you writing a letter and you can either send it to them or or you can like address it with them in person if you feel like that's safe. And my mom is one of those people that like if she's ever confronted with some kind of confrontation, she like starts freaking out and she shuts down. So I knew that, you know, you know, having her sit down and like reading the letter to her to her face wasn't really an option. And the relationship that I had with my mom was very superficial at that point anyway. So it was, it was, I knew that writing the letter was more of a release for me than it was trying to get the mom I never had. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the context of the letter is, you know, this is what you write. This is what you did to me as a child. This is how it made me feel at the time. This is how it affected me as an adult. And this is what I need from you going forward. So I structured my letter in that right way. It was 16 pages. Um, I sent it to her and she ended up telling me that she read the first paragraph and she read the last paragraph. And that was it. And she was like, why did it have to be so long? And I was like, cause I had a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> my childhood was really messed up, mom. Phew. And, um, and that I sent that letter to her about a year and a half ago. And I have noticed in, you know, the last few months, like I definitely felt very uncomfortable being around her. Like the, the anxiety and the uncomfortable feelings that I feel around her became more pronounced for a long time. Like after that, um, after the miscarriage up until maybe about, you know, a couple months ago, and I've kind of um, gotten to the point, like over these last few months, that when I do see her, I feel a little bit more relaxed. I feel like I, even though she never read the letter, I feel like the writing it and sending it and removing that toxicity that happened to me and like processing it and putting it on paper was a huge release for me and it did help me heal in a lot of ways and um now when i'm around my mother you know i can i can try and um you know i feel more relaxed and i and i try and just let her be her mm -hmm. and try and not let her be something that she's not and i've realized um after reading um the toxic parent book that you know she didn't, she wasn't born that way. She was born into an environment that created the way she was born. You know, she, she probably had a broken mother infant bond just like I did. And she was doing, she, I really do believe now. And I, I resonate with this, like in my bones now that I know that she did the absolute best that she could given the resources and the support and everything that she had and what she knew. And, um, what I've been trying to really instill in myself now is accept the fact that, you know, what happened happened. Like, I can't, I can't change the past. Like healing from your childhood isn't rewriting what happened, but it's making peace with what happened. And, and at that point it just becomes, you know, a story of your past. It doesn't have to be something that affects you on the day to day. And, um, you know, I, I've learned that I just, what I need to do is learn to accept the, the love that my mother can give me what she is capable of. Mm -hmm. And, um, and 
once that really instilled in me and in my body, I feel like our relationship has changed some. And uh, my youngest sister, her and I kind of like are on the, you know, our childhood was fucked up and we need to talk about it and we need to fix it bandwagon. And the rest of my siblings are like, oh, it was a long time ago. Who cares? Like, blah, blah, blah. When I'm like, really, you're just avoiding your feelings and eventually you're going to have to deal with this stuff. But me and youngest sister, you know, we will, um, we talk about this stuff. And she said that, you know, she went over and saw my mom like a month ago and my mom looked at her and asked her, how are you doing? Like legitimately asked her, like, like moms are supposed to do. Right. And, um, you know, my sister was like, oh, well, you know, I actually kind of have like this pain in my back and, and my neck. And then my mom was like, sit down. And she sat down on the floor and my mom massaged it for her. Wow. And my sister said, said that she just like burst into tears. And I don't know if my mom actually did finish reading the letter or it's just like my intention that I've put behind it. But I know that since I have found that release that my mom has been, my mom's in her sixties now. So I know now she's trying more than she ever did before. And, um, I didn't really expect that the, in the toxic parent book, one of the things she talks about is, you know, one or three things will happen when you confront your parents. The first thing that will happen is that they will disown you or, I mean, but I mean, if your parents are that toxic, you know, what are you really missing? Like either the relationship will stop existing. It will become superficial. And for me, my relationship was already superficial. So it was like, okay, so either the relationship doesn't change or my mom is removed from my life. And, you know, I've lived, you know, 30 or whatever, 20 years without a dad. And it's like, I didn't really have a mom. So what do I have to lose? And then the third option was um, the relationship improves. And I, by no means of the stretch of the imagination, ever thought that that meant that my relationship with my mom would improve. But I would say over the last few months that I feel like it has, Mm -hmm. Um, which is in my eyes a miracle. Like, I I don't think that, you know, I, I do feel like I have found resolution and I have found forgiveness truly for my mom at this point. Um, and I feel like maybe my willingness and my bravery to try and end this chain of pain in my family trauma has in a sense given her permission to do the same. And, um, and I absolutely know for a fact that it's going to be something that should I choose to have children in the future that I will not be passing on to them. That's right. You passed it back. You're not. You're I not, did. <laughs> it back. That was amazing. That that was a real good way to wrap it up. Um, not wrap it up. Like, bye, girl. Thank you. Kick you off. No, but <laughs> um, just kind of come to what the you know quote unquote the lesson is and the point in um your ending and how it can be someone else's because you said something um that well you said a lot of key things but um. And I'm going to get this Toxic Parent book. That's the second book that you mentioned. I'll have that in the show notes too. But um, when you said that um, you can, you just let your mom kind of be who she is, you know, and um, you don't, you just, the way I look at that is, you know, you meet her where she is and um, you understand that she 
to you truly in your heart did the very best she could with what she had and how she was raised and it's easier to feel that way i think when you do see changed behavior no matter how slight and um you can tell that she's trying harder than she ever has you said and she's in her 60s and i talk about when i talk about my forgiveness process I said the exact same thing. One thing I had to realize in the, in the beginning for me was like, listen, you, you have to meet your mom, like meet her where she is. And you have to be willing to see things from her perspective. And it didn't mean like hear it from her mouth and see it from her perspective. Cause my mom for years and years and years, I mean, until I was 30, this, this, you know, age 38, she just wouldn't really accept responsibility. Um, And so it wasn't about listening to her side from her. It was just me being an intelligent person and knowing that, okay, if she was um, pretty much an orphan at 12, my, both of my grandparents died when she was 12. She was the youngest sibling, but she had older siblings that were already married and had families and all of the siblings uh, that she lived with and passed around to were not always uh, the best, um, the best for her. They didn't take care of her always. They allowed things to happen. Um, there was uh, money that was um, mismanaged. And so she did experience uh, some molestation, some rapes. I mean, just a lot. And so it was more about me seeing things from her perspective and looking at, AKA, looking at the facts. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that I am at the place (laughs) where you are. She did the very best she could because I I just, I don't think she did. I I Mm -hmm. think that I do realize that drugs and alcohol they have a stronghold on people. And um, the reason it was just, it's hard for me to say she did the best she could is because she, even now that she doesn't do drugs anymore and she um, rarely drinks, she still does what she rarely drinks. Uh, she still has a hard time saying like, I wasn't there and it did this to you guys. And I haven't ever listened to you tell me what happened and I've discounted it. And cause she has done that. She's said, you know, I don't yeah. know you know what you've been through what you went through ain't shit compared to what i've been through you know my mom used to say the exact same thing to me and i i felt i really did feel the like the same way you felt like that she didn't she did not do the best that she could and i was like i was like you just i'm like it doesn't i'm like just get a job you know just take care right. of your kids like it's, yeah. it's not that hard like i'm a 16 year old kid and i can get a job you know i yeah. i I had a lot of resentment for it because I'm like, nah, she didn't do the best she could. But I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I have no idea what it, it would have been like, you know, being in my mother's shoes because it's mm-hmm. like, even though we had, you know, you know, similar family traumas, right? It's repeated over and over again. It's like this, it, the same boiling water that makes a potato soft makes an egg hard. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the circumstances. It's Ooh, more of oh, the- girl, that was good too. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not the circumstances, it's what you're made of. And I understand that what I'm made of is completely different of than what my mother is made of. And that people have different capacities. Like I understand that a shot glass holds two ounces and completely full. It holds two ounces. I know a pint glass that is completely full holds 16 ounces 
and a two ounce shot glass will never fill up a 16 ounce pint glass. Mm -hmm. So it, it also has to do like, what are people's capacities? Mm -hmm. And I, I just had to realize, you know, it's, I'm not made of the same things that my mother is. I have a higher capacity than my mother does. And from where she's standing, I know she did the best she could. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it is hard to get there. <laughs> it absolutely is. And there's not like, I can't even tell you the exact day or a turning point whenever that hit me, mm -hmm. but I, I feel like it has like in the last few months, like the holidays were definitely not as painful as they usually are <laughs> mm -hmm. this past year. So um, I'm going to be like, I, I really didn't think that there was going to be improvement. And, um, but you know, I'm really, I'm very happy that there has been. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry for what happened with your mom. It's oh yeah, totally. I mean, I feel. I mean, I think you're my spirit animal. I mean, I just <laughs> you know we're each other's spirits animals. Exactly because I I struggle with um, thinking that. So I have a big issue. I don't even know if I've ever talked about this. Not because I didn't haven't wanted to. I don't know that it's come up, but I admonish myself. My, myself, Alabama just came out of me. I admonish myself um, probably on a daily basis because I am really hard on people that I think um, that I, if I think you're weak, I'm really hard on you. Like I'm almost like, get I, I used to be like that too. I, it's like, you know, if I, I was like, if I could be homeless at 12 and make it, you can fucking make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I reckon I'm better because I recognize that I do that. So it doesn't come out now. It doesn't, but it, it crosses my mind. Um, still not as much, but I check myself because I, I know what I went through. I, no one walking the earth and knows everything. I haven't disclosed everything. And, um, I'm a tough cookie. I, I, I am. Um, I'm proud of myself for it. I'm proud of what I'm made of. But you're right. Everybody is not made of the same things. And um, everybody can't handle, you know, their capacity is different. You're right. Everybody's not resilient. And, and um, that, that happens to actually be one of the um, points of contention between me and my mom for years. And before I had an aha moment, um, she said to me, she would say to me, and it would make me so angry. She would say, I just don't understand what your issue with me is. Like, what is the problem? Like you, I might have my two older brothers would, um, like no matter how long she'd been, been gone, they would be so excited to see her. Like it, it was strange. I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? She don't even care about y'all. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. why are you talking to her? You know? And she just, would say, what is the issue? What is the problem? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, and I just would just be so angry. And what she said to me one day, I will never forget, it really um, changed how I, how I viewed her and our relationship. So I'm the baby, but um, to be honest, I'm, I'm the most accomplished, you know, according to society. Mm -hmm. you, know, right. you have all the marks on the chart. exactly um now they do have some you know rough patches but um i'm pretty decent my mother said you know you just don't seem and never have seemed affected by me not being there mm -hmm. like you're fine like you are amazing she's always bragging about me she just thought like nothing's wrong with you so why are you mad 
Yeah. Like, oh. Well, it's like the way, yeah, the way we, we show our people, you know, people handle things in different ways. You know, yeah. you don't have to be a drug addict and like overtly horrible or yeah. not horrible, but like, you know, big and loud mm-hmm. you know, and you can still have issues, you know, they just mm-hmm. affect people differently. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, I realized then that that's where her confusion stemmed from. Cause I always thought like, you gotta be trying to just piss me off. Like you have to be saying that to make me, cause I'm like, what do you mean? You are my mother and you were not there. Like, I don't get it. Um, but I realized that I, I just didn't seem affected. And so mm-hmm. I, that led me, I did a, an episode um, called just because I'm carrying it doesn't mean it's not heavy. Right. And I just had to tell her, like, um, I struggle with this and this and these feelings of inadequacy. And I struggle, you know, on a daily basis to um, I have to self-talk and, and remind myself that I deserve this and I'm enough for this. Like, mm-hmm. you don't realize that I deal with it well, but it also helped me to see that, well, you know what, Precious, you may have done things differently if you were her. Maybe you wouldn't have, but you can't mm-hmm. hold that against her. And right. so I just, I totally, totally get what you mean by that and it helps me even as a teacher you know my kids have more patience with them and um the people at work you know the ones that do the stupid stuff I'm like oh <laughs> you know those we all have those so yeah we, we I have <laughs> really really learned a lot and I've also um see I've learned that I my feelings and how I view things are that va- I mean they're valid Not that I thought that they were invalid, but, you know, it just feels good to hear some of the things that I've said or felt, you know, echo back at me. So I am so, so excited to, you know, work with you after this and just stay connected with um, everything that you have going on in the future and what I have going on. Um, Go ahead and tell us what we can expect from you in the future. Um, Okay, so my my emptiness my emphasis in business is actually not in mental health uh, yet, but it is something that I plan on delving a little bit more into in the future. Um, so like Precious said, I um, am an online health and wellness entrepreneur. I'm, I've, I wrote a book on healing, uh, managing and healing like autoimmune disease naturally. And it's called Holy Healing. And you can find it in my bio on my Instagram, which is, um, at Brenna Wilder. So just first name, last name, B-R-E-N-N-A-W-I-L-D-E-R. Um, I'm in the process of coming up with like a a 28 day, uh, diet and exercise challenge. Um, and then I also have a lifestyle course that I'm developing that is probably going to be launched sometime in the spring. So if you want to follow me, um, on uh, Instagram at Brenna Wilder. Um, on Facebook, my business page is at Brenna Wilder Biz. I also have a private um, like workout group if you want to join. It's Bodies by Brenna. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's about it. Um, and eventually, I'm gonna probably do some more stuff on mental health and and finding ways to help people deal with their own. Um, issues and so that they can heal and find true happiness and contentment that mm-hmm. they maybe haven't known before. And my my biggest reason for wanting to share my story is because I believe that we connect through storytelling. And mm-hmm. um, as 
as funny as it sounds, the Instagram account, Daddy Issues, I don't know if any of y'all follow it. I started following it like right around the time I started therapy. Mm-hmm. And the way she jokes about, you know, the issues that girls have with daddy issues, like really makes me laugh. But I also just like how she's loud about it. Like her talking about like, and in a joking way about like, you know, her daddy issues mm-hmm. made it, made me feel more okay to not be like, okay and perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, I have found that in being like authentic and vulnerable and sharing what I've been through, it's helped other people not feel so alone and like actually take active steps in their life to improve it. So I hope that, you know, this, this podcast helps um, some of, some of the listeners out there, you know, realize that, you know, you're not alone and the way that your life is now is not the way that it has to be for the rest of your life. You have the power to change it. You just have to be willing and want to. And that there is nothing wrong with um, being confident with who you are. You know, I, I, I just, I love myself. I, I really love myself I, with all of the scars. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very rough around the edges and um, I talk real loud for no reason all the time. <laughs> like, you know, I can be mean. I'm not a morning person and, I mean, I I just, you know, like everything, I'm just proud of who I am. And so, you know, my, my hope, my wish uh, is that women that have issues with their moms can come out and talk about it and not feel less than and not feel embarrassed about it or Mm -hmm. feel that it makes them look like anything. Cause I just think that, you know, for me to be able to accomplish what I want to in life and um, having done so dealing with the adversity that I faced, I just think I'm pretty dope. So like, yeah, you know, I think you are too. Uh, and, and as you are, because <laughs> you and me, we're the same. So I think I, I, I want women to love themselves. I'm like, no, like this is who I am and shut, shut people down. You know, I've had people make sly comments and, you know, things like you wouldn't understand. I had an argument with my mom, but I, I, I won't tell you, I know you won't get it. Like girl, mm-hmm. girl, <laughs> you know, I just look over those things because if I allow it to hurt my feelings, it'll just get me off track. We are all people that are going through things. We have no idea what other people are going through. We meet people every single day, but you have a tribe, you have people out here and there are people out here who have done the work that you're trying to do. Um, And we just want you to be whole. And the book is called, hold on. I'm trying to plug the book. (sighs) We're going to put all of this information in the show notes anyway, but we want you to have holy healing mm-hmm. by Brenna Wilder. <laughs> yes. So um, you have some other books too. Um, it didn't start with you and the toxic parent. I'm going to put all that in the show notes, email all of that to me. I have all of her um, social media here, so I will post it, but you have your Instagram uh, at Brenna Wilder. Uh, Facebook, Brenna Wilder, Biz, and then the group is Bodies by Brenna, which is pretty dope. I like that name. Thank you. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll have everything listed for you. Brenna, thank you so very much. Um, you thank are you. welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've enjoyed it. And we will connect. We will stay connected because you're doing some pretty dope things in the future. And I just definitely want to be able to support in any way I can. 
Awesome. All right, guys, I will talk to you all later. Okay, guys, you've just listened to another episode of Unmothered and Unbothered. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did enjoy making it. If you did enjoy it, please leave me a rating and a review in iTunes. Head over to IG and follow me at Unmothered Unbothered Podcast. I also have a Facebook page. Please go like and follow the Unmothered and Unbothered Podcast. And please feel free to join the private Unmothered and Unbothered group within that Facebook page. If you need me for anything else, you can always email me at unmotheredandunbothered at gmail.com.